Alrighty. Good morning, church. I am extremely excited to be here with you today. Uh, just you don't know how good those songs were for my soul and uh, just for my heart because um, I, I need the gospel every single day. And so I'm always overjoyed when I hear churches singing and proclaiming the gospel. Um, and so my name is Joseph McClung. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm a, a senior uh, English major at ULM. Uh, my family, almost all of it's right here <laughs> in these two rows. Uh, and then I'm a member of the Crossing Church in Monroe. Many of you are familiar with my pastor, uh, Jared Hawthorne. Uh, he cannot speak highly enough of Alds Chapel. Uh, whenever he told me about this opportunity, uh, he just talked about how much you guys love the Word, how much you guys love each other, how much you guys love the Gospel. And so <clears throat> not only did that was that convicting for me because how much do I really love the gospel, right? It pushed me to want to love Jesus more, but it's also exciting uh, because I get to come and encourage you guys to be able to do that better, right? And to be able to do that more. And so I hope that happens. And, and so I'm excited to be here today mainly because I love the local church. I love um, the mission of God. That The main mission of God is that He is using local churches, Christians, to accomplish His mission, Right? to accomplish His gospel, to accomplish His restoration in the world. Isn't that amazing that Christ is using Ald's Chapel to accomplish His mission? That's an incredible, right? Christ is using the Crossing Church in Monroe to accomplish His mission. And so that should be totally humbling for us, right? And so we know those truths. We know that gospel. We sing about the great gospel that we have. But oftentimes... Life is hard, right? We have this thing called life that gets in the way a lot of the times. Oftentimes, we worship, we come to worship on Sundays or we come on Wednesday nights or we talk about them in our homes. We talk about the gospel in our homes and something's missing, it seems. That passion that we really want to have in the gospel is missing it because things in life get in the way, right? We're, we have a tendency to come here and to talk about the gospel and just pretend that everything's okay. And so this morning I want to talk about how everything's not okay. And that's okay because we have an amazing hope in Christ. It's okay to not be okay, but in Christ we don't have to stay that way, right? And so I know that a lot of us in this room this morning have pain and suffering, whether it be in, from the past or things in the present. We have unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled hopes. We have uh, unrealized dreams. We have a lot of weariness, a lot of anxieties, a lot of insecurities, a lot of brokenness, a lot of sin. And so it can be hard sometimes on Monday, on Sundays, if we're honest with ourselves, when Monday is staring at us in the face. And we have to go out there again and pursue these dreams, pursue these hopes, pursue this anxiety-producing world all over again. And so we need a firm foundation to stand on. We need a firm foundation that Christ is risen, right? And He's overcome the whole world. And so what do we do? How do we keep pressing forward? These are the questions that I think God laid on my heart and why He led me to choose the pastors that we're in today. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Matthew 11. We're going to start in verse 25. Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. 
When you got it, say got it. Got it. Sweet. All right. Matthew 11, starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows... Um, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, that it brings life, and it brings joy, and it brings peace, uh, in the midst of anything in life, in the midst of our successes, in the midst of our trials, your word stands firm. And so I praise you that you have given us your word. And so God, just wash us over in your word this morning. Pour out your spirit that we, be, that we may be able to behold the mysteries and the glories of the gospel today. Whether it be for the first time or the thousandth time, Father, let us praise you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. So, there's likely some familiar verses in this passage, right? Especially at the end, that verse 28, come to me. It's a very encouraging verse. You've likely been encouraged by it before or use it to encourage other people. People, However, especially at the beginning, there are some verses in here that are not as familiar, right? And even some of these verses seem to um, convey a, some contradictory ideas, right? That we have this... Uh, idea that God, Jesus is revealing, but also saying come, right? And, but I think as we flesh this, flesh this out a little bit, it'll be, become clear that we absolutely need verses 25 through 27 for us to come, for Jesus to say come. And so look back down at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. If you like to mark in your Bible, underline little children. Right there, that's the key word in this. Revealed them to little children. So here we have Jesus thanking God the Father, Lord of heaven, confessing that the Father is overall all-powerful, and He's thanking Him for hiding certain things. Right? So God is all pow- an all-powerful ruler. He's able to do whatever He pleases to do. If He chooses to hide if he chooses to take, if he chooses to get rid of, he can. Because he's God, right? It's the same concept as Job when he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this attribute of God should amaze us, right? Part of his mystery and part of his power is why we worship him and not some other dude over here, right? But oftentimes, God's ability to do as he pleases God's sometimes allowing bad things to happen. God's sometimes using bad things for our good. A lot of times shakes us. Why does He need to hide anything from us? Why does He need to feel far from us? Why does He do this? Why does He do that? Why does He give us this? Now, we can't answer all the mysterious questions of God in one sermon or even in a lifetime, right? 
but I think we can get some answers in this passage. So let's keep digging. It's important to understand what things Jesus is talking about that are being hidden. So let's move up to verse 20 in chapter 11. Uh, the passage right before this. Verse 20 through 24. Then he began to announce the cities, to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon there for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So extremely harsh words there, right? The Sodom is the same Sodom of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? If you remember the story of Lot and his wife, and Sodom was incredibly evil, incredibly sinful, broken city, and God wanted to destroy it. And in the prayer of one righteous man, Lot, saved them, right? Lot was the mediator, and it ended up eventually... God would send fire and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they didn't repent. And so in the same way, these cities had a mediator, right? These cities had Jesus, an even better lot. And they saw his mighty works and didn't repent. Jesus is denouncing these cities for seeing his miracles, seeing his mighty works, still not repenting, still not believing that Jesus, he is the promised Messiah, that Jesus is God in the flesh. They've seen his marvelous works, and it's like they're blind. It's like they're hidden. And then we turn to our passage in verse 25, and Jesus says, at this time, he praises the Father for hiding these truths from the wise and understanding but revealing them to little children. These truths about Jesus being God and the Messiah are hidden from the wise and understanding, those who think they have it all together, those who might would think they are able to cast the first stone, those who don't live like they need God, those who are in the know, those who are self-righteous. And so God chooses to let them stay in that, to stay in their self-righteousness, to stay in their sin. It's not the first time this idea in Scripture is used. Romans 1 talks about how people are worshiping the creature rather than the Creator, right? So they know that there's a Creator based on His mighty works in creation, and they're still not repenting. And so God gives them up to their lusts, to what they're hoping in, to what they're worshiping. It's been like this from the beginning in the garden where everything was perfect, they saw the mighty works of God in a perfect universe, and Adam and Eve still believed they could be God. And there's a real sense in which this could happen to us today. We'd like to think, if we saw Jesus' miracles and mighty works today, that of course we'd praise Him. But would we? Maybe these cities that Jesus was denouncing saw His mighty works like the Romans, saw his mighty works like the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and we're still saying things like, Jesus doesn't really have what I need. Jesus doesn't really have what I need for this specific circumstance. He can't really save me right now. I'm too bad. I'm too far off. I have so much work to do that I need to give all my effort on and all my 
desire and all my passion. I have to raise kids and I have to take care of them. I have to worry about how I'm going to retire. I need to just sit on this couch. I'm so tired. I need to make sure this, this, and this is done. There's so many things that I have on my heart right now. A certain sin, my family, my job. It's hard to even care about what Jesus is doing. And so maybe they said those things instead of this is the Messiah. God in the flesh has come for me. Look how powerful He is. Look at how much control He has. See how He cares for those who are sick. See how He cares for those who are oppressed. See with what grace He calls me to repentance. This changes everything. But these cities didn't say that. And we like to think that we would, but in reality, we know about and have experienced the greatest miracle of all in Christ's death and resurrection for sinners. And we tend to live every day like we don't need them. Because we think we know best. And so these cities were likely saying some similar things that we say ourselves, at least in our own hearts, when we live in our own strength to accomplish things we want done and to change the things we want changed, or when we live in our own strength to find joy, satisfaction, or peace, as if Jesus and His message don't apply to any of that. We think we know what we need, and so often we don't choose Jesus to, do, to be that thing. Maybe too often we think that the gospel is just for Sundays. Too often we rely on our own understanding and wisdom. However, we were not created to be wise and understanding on our own. We were not created just to fend for ourselves. We were created to be little children. And that's what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, Father, by His gracious will, in verse 26, reveals these hidden things, these truths about the wonderful Messiah and His gospel to little children. Don't miss the intimacy of that. We're to be children. I don't have kids yet, maybe one day. But I know a lot of people do, and I, I work with kids. And I don't know if you've noticed, but they can't do anything. Right? They have a hard time doing a lot of stuff. Right? That's why they need parents. Right? Children rely on parents for food, for shelter, for education, to keep them healthy, to be clean, to blow their nose. Right? When I first started working with kids and I found out I had to teach them to blow their nose, that blew my mind. Right? Should just be, just blow, right? <laughs> but it's not that way. They need their parents to tie their shoes to be protected in the dark or during thunderstorms, to listen to their wildest dreams and aspirations and hopes, to put band-aids on their bobos, to push them to be better, to know what love is. And so it's amazing to me, and it should be amazing to us that Jesus uses the same language here, children. Don't miss the intimacy of this. If you are in Christ this morning, you are a child of God. He knows you intimately. Psalms 139 says, He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows when you sit. He knows when you lie. He knows your inward thoughts. Even before a word on your tongue is spoken, the Lord knows it. Where, will, where should you go from His Spirit? He knows your anxieties. He knows your discomforts. He knows your frustrations. He knows your failures. He knows your successes. He knows your joys. And so it is in this identity as children of God that He reveals His truth. 
He isn't just some prophet in the middle of the street yelling some nonsense to people who doesn't know, to strangers. He isn't some God in outer space wondering why we keep messing up, or why we keep running around and anxious all the time. He is a God who has known you from your conception and revealed the truth about the gospel to you personally. How can we think that we don't need the gospel every second of the day? The gospel is our Heavenly Father's plan for our life and the rest of the world. Furthermore, Jesus is ultimately the one who shows us this plan. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. So Jesus has all authority, has full authority to reveal His truth, to give His peace, to show His love, to remind of His kindness, to open blind eyes, to heal deaf ears. This idea is consistent with the rest of Scripture in places like Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to him, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Right? So Jesus' sovereignty over everything precedes our action. Right? In John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. And this Jesus is whose rule everyone in the world is moving towards. Everyone in all of history is moving towards. Everyone will be under his rule. Ephesians 1, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then Revelation 7, one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture to me. And after this, this is John, and after this I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, with palm branches in hand, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. This Jesus, this triumphant Jesus, who also stands up for and cares for prostitutes, blind people, lepers, Samaritan women, little children, demon-possessed men, dead people, grieving sisters, even tax collectors and sinners. This Jesus is in control of salvation and the revealing of the mysteries of God. What wonderful news. So if you have put your trust in the Son today, in Christ, you can have full assurance that He has power and authority to reveal the Father to you and to make you a child. You cannot do this on your own. You are not wise and understanding enough. He can do this. He is wise. He is understanding for us. So if you are saved, bought child in here today, it is because of the power and the work of Jesus Christ alone. And so it is with this power and authority that Jesus says, come. And it's with this great assurance and grace that we can come. And so maybe some of us in here are wrestling with this seemingly contradictory ideas, the seeming paradoxicalness of this passage, where we see Christ having full authority to reveal the gospel, 
whether it be an initial salvation or even for us Christians in here in times when God seems far off or He seems hidden, He has full authority to reveal Himself. He is sovereign, but also calling us to come. And if you're struggling with that today, I encourage you, implore you even, in light of this passage, do not lean on your own understanding and wisdom. It will not be enough. If Jesus is calling you to come, then you better come. Or Jesus will be saying, woe is he, woe is she. For she hasn't repented. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of the most beautiful verses of Scripture. Right after Jesus explicates his total control over salvation, revealing truth to his children, he says, come. We have freedom to come because Christ is in control, not us. If we were in control, leaning on our own wisdom and understanding, we would never come. So come, all who labor and are heavy laden. This verse is, shows us that Jesus is assuming, or probably a better word is knowing, that people are restless. That humans are restless, that his children are restless. That we are laboring hard for something in life. That we all are chasing something, desiring something, want something, right? We all have a heavy burden for either for something or to get rid of something in our lives. And so what is that thing? You can think of specific examples in your life, but there's always going to be something deeper still that we're looking for. Some emotion, some um, hope that we're looking for. And so there's a lot of answers to give. And what that thing is, you can say meaning, fulfillment, satisfaction. But I think Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, summarizes up all our desires and burdens well when he puts them in the four categories. So I'm going to give you these four categories and I'm going to ask some questions. And of course, the questions aren't exhaustive because if we were going to sit here and try to name all the sins that we have all day, we'd be here all day, right? However, really think and consider, is this me? Do I do this? Do I look for these things in other places besides Jesus? So really consider your life, your heart, and your tendencies as you're listening. So the first thing that everyone in the world looks for, everyone in the world's chasing hard after, working hard for, is comfort. Which kind of seems ironic, right? We're chasing hard and working hard for comfort. Do you find that after work, you kind of avoid your family, go into the living room, watch TV or do whatever else you do to relax? Do you struggle with opening up and being vulnerable? Are you worried about losing your big house or expensive car? Are you truly working for the weekend? Are you just working for retirement? Do you think that if only this pain and suffering would go away, then you'd be okay? At the end of a long day, what do you think you need in that moment? Is it to lounge on the couch? Is it a nice long vacation? Is it to be left alone? Is it food? Is it intimacy with a spouse? Do you have secret sins that you run to to put you at ease? Do you ever feel like God is boring, harsh, anxiety producing, ask for too much, or not satisfying? Whatever in your life you say, ah, when you get you look at and you find it is usually what you're putting your comfort in. 
So most of these things in and of themselves aren't evil, right? So I'm not saying you should just cut out all the TV in your life, right? However, oftentimes we put our hope for comfort in these things. And in reality, we're not actually going to get what we're looking for, right? If we're honest with ourselves, the more we turn to other things for comfort in our lives, the less they become comfortable. That's why there's a new iPhone out every single year, right? That's why there's scientists whose only job is to discover new comfy leather for the next lazy boy, right? We get bored. And so that makes us try harder and harder and labor more for comfort, which is something we were never created to labor for. And so hear Jesus calling, come to me, I will give you rest. Stop trying to find comfort elsewhere. You don't need to turn anywhere else. I can take care of you. Let me be your sanctuary. As the psalmist says, at my right hand are pleasures forevermore. We look for comfort. Secondly, we look for power in our life. Are you working hard after power in your life? Is success in your job most important to you? Do you need to be heard or listened to by your friends or families or even the people you don't like? Do you constantly try to win arguments? Do you try to fix your own problems? When bad things happen, are you scrambling to remain in control of the situation? When things are going good, are you puffed up with pride, thinking it was all because of you? Do you need success in whatever you do? Do you ever feel like God doesn't have any control or power over your situations? If you're believing any of this, if you're turning to any of this, be honest with yourself right now and see that you have absolutely no control. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what will happen at 5 p.m. today. You will fail again, and you have no control over that, but you don't need to. Jesus is saying, come to me. I will give you rest. Stop trying hard to find control over your life. Humble yourself. Realize you don't have control and trust me. I can take care of you. I have the power. I'm seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look for comfort. We look for power. And we look for security. Are you working hard after security in your life? Are you constantly anxious? Do you stress and worry about your kids being safe? Job security, health, retirement, the government, the opposite political party taking power, the nation failing, the world imploding. Do you feel secure in just coming to church on Sunday or on Wednesday or just reading your Bible as opposed to feeling secure in the work of Christ on your behalf? Do you rely on tradition or just how you were raised to get through life? Do you feel most secure when your doors are locked at night, the insurance is paid for, your kids are safe in bed, and your savings account is full? Do you ever feel like God will not take care of you? That He can't be trusted? That He's forgotten you? Again, not all these things are bad. You should probably get car insurance. It's a good idea. But if you're putting your hope for security in any of this, you need to hear Christ saying, come to me. Find your security in me. Stop working hard for that. I can take care of you. Trust in my work and provision. I have overcome the world. We search for comfort. We search for power. 
We search for uh, security and we search for approval. Are you working hard to find approval in your life? Do you need the approval of a parent, a spouse, a boss, a friend? Do you put your main identity in being a parent, a spouse, or in your career? Do you put your main identity in your ethnicity or your sports teams? Do you feel like you have to look good? Is appearance the most important thing to you? Do you feel bad or evil if you miss a church service or if you don't follow a certain rule that might not actually be a rule, but you just have it for yourself? If you aren't the ideal fill-in-the-blank, do you feel worthless? Do you do things out of obligation or fear of what others might think? Do you struggle with guilt and shame over your past or even your present? Do you ever feel like God is judging you, arms crossed, thinking how could He have done that? How could she do this? Then you need to hear Jesus say, Come to Me. I approve of you. You are a child of My Father. God doesn't see you the way you see yourself. God doesn't see you the way you think people see you. I will give you rest. Let My words give you the affirmation that you need. You are loved no matter what because of My work on the cross. What better place to get affirmation than from the man who died for you? So where are you? Comfort, power, security, approval. It's likely you see yourself in all those things. I do. But we have a hope in Jesus on the cross. He has done the work so that you can have all these things in Him. Jesus is saying, come to Me. Take My yoke upon you. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we see a full reversal from Jesus saying, don't rely on your own wisdom and understanding, learn from me. Right? Take my yoke. Right? That's not a very common phrase that we use today. Tell your friend, hey, will you mind taking my yoke out for a second or whatever, I don't know what you might do with that. But in actuality, a yoke is a large beam that they would put on oxen to plow the fields, move heavy objects, or do very laborious work. So after that, who in here wants to put a huge beam on your shoulders and do work that an oxen wants to do to, to get rest? right? No one, right? That doesn't seem very restful. So why does Jesus use this analogy that still implies work? After all, doesn't Jesus say, come all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest? Why does he say this? Take my yoke. I think what this shows us is that Jesus is not promising to take us out of the bad things in life. He's not promising to take us out of the work. He's not promising to take us out of the wearisome things. You still have to be a mom. You still have to be a dad. You still have to go to work. You still have to sit in whatever pain and suffering you're going through. You still have to be who you are. You still have to fill in the blank. Monday morning is still coming. More suffering in this sinful world is likely on the way. You will fail again. Cars will break down. Democrats or Republicans, whichever one you're against, might be in power. You may never get to retire. Friends might desert you. Family might die. Relationships might break. You may question every night why. You may hurt and continue to hurt. You may cry yourself to sleep at night. But you have Jesus. Your burden, he says, is his now and his burden.
burden is light. Your burden is to trust in Him, in all those things. Jesus is not saying, I'm going to take them away, but He's saying, I will give you rest in discomfort, rest in suffering, rest in failure, rest in boredom, rest in sadness, rest in anger, because the best life, the happy life, is resting and trusting in Jesus. You have a king, savior, and brother in Jesus who is totally in control, fully knows what you're going through, fully cares about you, fully knows your wants and desires in life, and he's calling you to come. Come and see that Hebrews 4.16 is right. You can find grace in time of need. Come and see that 1 Corinthians 12 is true. Christ's power is made perfect in your weakness. Come and see that Galatians is true that you have received the adoption of the children of God. Come and see that 2 Corinthians 5 is true. Christ's righteousness is now yours. He has what you need. He is gentle and lowly at heart. Aren't the lies we believe sometimes so harsh? Not your king. Not your friend. Not Jesus. He's saying, come. I'll take care of your bobos. I'll tie your shoes. I'll make sure you're provided for. Not saying all those things are going to change your life or your life will be perfect in the world's eyes or even your eyes. But Jesus works in the mess. He will be what you need, be your joy, your peace, your love, your hope. And that's the best thing for you. That's what you were created for. And so maybe today you're struggling to come and rest because it's hard. It's hard to really trust. If you're there, if you're in that place, come. Jesus will give you the faith that you need. Jesus is all that you need. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Christian, come and rest. Let's pray. Father Jesus, I... Thank you again for your great word that we have the word of God to strengthen us when we're looking towards Monday. We have the word of God to strengthen us in the middle of the week. We have the people of God to strengthen us. We're not left alone in this world to continue to remember and to continue to fight for your gospel. So God, I ask this morning that you just let us rest as we sing, that we, that all our anxieties would float away, not just in a <clears throat> useless, hopeless type of way, in a, in a way that just is, is ignoring the world, ignoring the pain, but in a way that we are trusting you with pain, that we're trusting you with anxieties, that we're trusting you with our desires. Father, come and be everything that, you, that we need you to be. And let us be dependent children of your grace. In your name I pray. Amen.